Hello and welcome to Women We Watch in Tourism podcast series. WWW is a platform where we provide a space for women to leverage collective wisdom, experiences and inspiration from women powerhouses in our industry to become innovative game changers. We will be engaging in insightful conversations with women who have changed the face of businesses in our industry and trailblazers who have steered innovative and creative ideas. This is a must-listen podcast for women leaders, professionals and entrepreneurs to become visible, break glass ceilings and to grow their impact. We believe that sharing these insights will be a catalyst for women in our industry to unleash their potentials and to seize the crisis as a turning point. So join our conversations by subscribing to Women We Watch in Tourism podcast. are creating innovative companies at unprecedented rates, and they are at the forefront of many market trends. They have the education and skills to build prosperous companies that struggle for the capital and funding. In the past year, the amount of funding to women-led startups declined as the overall of venture dollars poured into startups inched higher. The startups that have drawn a larger share of VC dollars are those with a team of all-male founders. A Harvard Business Review found that 90% of VC decision-makers are men, who in turn invest 86% of their capital in all-male teams. The burning question is this, what must happen for this to change? And also, more importantly, why are women getting a smaller piece of the VC pie? What are their biggest challenges? Dear listeners, to speak about these pertinent issues, today we have on our episode, Jean Owenta. Jean is the founder of Jean's Private Kitchen, Geneva's first underground dining concept, which successfully expanded to France, Hamburg, Singapore, and now to Dubai. She started the private dining concept from her home catering to mostly clients from the UN, WHO, WTO, footballers, VIPs in the Geneva region, relying purely on word of mouth with no advertising. But she grew gradually her clientele base to more than 700 private clients in Geneva alone. As a celebrity chef, she now hosts VVIPs, government officials, and royalties purely based on the word of mouth. Jean is also a food consultant to Singapore Embassy and Consulate UAE and other international organizations. She played an integral part at the Singapore Pavilion Expo Dubai, recreating the Singapore's hawker experience amazingly. The negative impact of the pandemic on female-owned businesses drove Jean to invest in people over stocks and shares. As an angel investor and VC, Jean has supported many women-led businesses affected by the economic downturn. Jean is also the CEO of Touch Consultancy, UAE's first disability inclusion consultancy, an exclusive platform that represents people of determination. Based on three distinct pillars of representation, growth, and community outreach, the company promotes stories of people of determination in a manner that respectfully educates society about disability. Despite her fame as a renowned celebrity chef, Jean is strongly grounded on her core values of honesty, kindness, humanity, charity, and good manners. And this is the reason why without a website or paid marketing advertising, Jean draws thousands of followers on her social handles and major clients. Thanks for joining us, listeners. And let's deep dive into the conversation with Jean Winter. Jean. Thank you so much for being on this podcast, you know, and for me, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure 
meeting you at the Singapore Pavilion at Dubai Expo. And the person who introduced me to you said that, you know, Jean, she's so renowned as, as, as a chef, and we're going to find out more about that, you know, but she's hardly visible. She hardly gives interviews. <laughs> um, and, and it is very difficult to get her to speak about her accomplishments. So it is a sheer honor and pleasure for us to have you on our podcast to share authentically about who is Jean as a person, as well as a professional. So why this uh, invisibility, Jean? I think, you know, in life, um, I strongly believe that what you do doesn't matter in terms of who knows what you do as long as it impacts the people that matter. And I've always hidden because especially in society nowadays, the first question asked is, what do you do? What car do you drive? Which school do your kids go to? It's always the first impression that defines you within five seconds. And I hate that. So for me, it should be, you know, getting to know you as you, uh, regardless of your background, your successes, um, but Jean, you, you live, but Jean, you live in Dubai where, you know, first impressions are important. What car you drive, well, actually what cars you drive is important. And, exactly. and so, so how do you, how do you balance this between what you want and, and where you live? Okay, first of all, all the cars that we drive is chosen by the husband, okay? Not me. So when he asks me, what car do you want? I usually go with the color, which drives him crazy. So I'll say white or red or whatever. So I don't get to choose what car we drive. And he chooses the car what we drive based on security. Because in, in Dubai, people drive crazy. So let me get that straight first. And in Dubai, all the more... Um, it has the reputation of a very false society, which is very true on certain levels. But if you find your tribe, then it becomes a very trusted tribe. Mm -hmm. I have been very blessed um, because we have moved. I mean, I'm Singaporean. I lived in Singapore. My kids grew up in uh, Italy. Our house is in Geneva, France. Um, they went to school in Hamburg. And then now we're in Dubai. We have always been um, in uh, societies where image is very important, mm. career is very important, mm. reputation, your background, your connections are important in those exact societies. Mm. And somehow I've survived, uh, you know, um, not letting people know who we are or what my husband does what I do yeah yeah I mean that's very that's not easy to do like you say you know um, against this background of affluence that you are that you have been in how do you how do you maintain that then that um, this value of yours to not show off, to not define, to not, because I saw, you know, like you, you in your Instagram, you say, you know, like I don't have a label for what I do. And I love that. But that tells like the meaning behind, I don't have a label for what I do. You just explain. I think a lot of women feel that way, but it's not necessarily easy to maintain that value especially when society is so into status, prestige, you know? How do you, how do, you do that? I think it's a lot about background as well. My parents, um, okay, mom came from a middle-class family. In fact, my mom came from, my grandfather was a gangster. I love that story. Wow, my nice dad, story. <laughs> my grandfather was a, a gangster in that sense, really. Hmm. And my uncles are like true blue hardcore gangsters as well. Um, it was in Malaysia. Uh, in Singapore. In Singapore. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, my dad came from a very, very, very poor family. But my dad was a, a key example of how he um, 
grew from Rex to, I wasn't say riches because I that never even knew what my dad worked as, as a child until I was 17. Mm. Because my dad came from a really poor family. All I knew, I never met my grandparents. All I knew was that my granddad had to work three jobs just to keep the family going. And yet um, they were so poor that they were unable to afford proper school shoes for my dad, um, even uh, uniforms uh, in, you know, because my dad was from St. Joseph's uh, Boys School in uh, Malacca in Malaysia. He was a very good student, always one of the top students. But because of that, even though he qualified to go to a very good college, my grandfather never had the money to send him to college. Um, but there was a good ending because he basically started out as a plantation, um, a pineapple plantation accounts club, which eventually he retired as vice president of uh, Bank of America. Amazing. Uh, as the only VP that never had a university or college degree, but purely through hard work and strife. But with a background like that, and my mom, she's like the original OG, right? Um, she has always the purpose been- of the listeners, Jean, what is OG? Uh, like original gangster. And this one, it's like serious. <laughs> I, 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 my mom, like nearly beat up men who put women down. So I'm like, okay, mom. And she used to, she used to tell me, I was like, how can you be my daughter? She said, you're such a scary cat. She said, um, <laughs> growing up, I, I I used to be so embarrassed of my mom, but of course now I hold her in like utmost respect because I, yeah. I've literally seen her and she's smaller than me. Yeah. But you know, Jean, I just want to, to say this as I'm listening to your story, you know, she may not have seen you to be daring at that age, but, you know, I was looking at your background and, and, and hearing a lot about you. You are a, a trailblazer in territories that were uncharted. You know, you started Geneva's first underground dining concept. I mean, that must have taken some guts because it's not your home territory. You know, and then you moved on to being a private chef at an exclusive end of the private dining ladder, you know. And then you grew this from France to Hamburg to Singapore and now to Dubai. And you host some very, very important people which take guts to do as well. You know, I want to hear a little bit about how this journey started. So I think that you are a trailblazer here. Again, I think it's very accidental. And um, my husband has given up on me. I'll tell you the story. Uh, it started because we, we moved to Geneva. Um, because Andrew was promoted, he was supposed to run the business um, in Geneva. And I got bored because there's so much you can do uh, because I've always been very career driven. But my dad, being my dad, um, said, you know, as a good Christian girl, he, I'm, I'm still this girl. He says, as a good Christian girl, you shouldn't be running the family. You should be the husband running the family. Stop being so headstrong. It's time to, you know, let Andrew have his his uh, say in his career because Andrew had turned down three promotions at that time because I refused to budge and I gave up my, so that's when I quit what I was doing in Singapore to support Andrew in his career growth. So I gave up my career. I said, okay, this is where I'll support Andrew. I stopped working and uh, we moved. Our first move was for, to Italy. That's where our girls were born. And then from Italy, he grew in his career. And then during that time, I led the Tai Tai life, you know, where it's just uh, parties, going to the beach, dinners, um, because an interesting story is because Andrew is a surfer. So where we found our place in Italy was based on where there was good surfing. So this is why I'm telling you, my career path is so accidental. Interesting. And so we went to, and I didn't want to drive. I was very lazy. I said, I don't want to drive. I'll take the train to bring the kids to international school. And in front of our villa at that time was a private Italian nursery, which pretty much cost the same as sending the kids to international school. 
So for us, it was out of practical reasons that we put our kids in that Italian nursery. Little did we know, because for me, it's just an Italian nursery. It's a private school, which means it's one of the best. There was a long wait list. And as luck would have it, we managed to get in because of the proximity of our house. Mm. At that time, Andrew was like, are you sure you put the kids in Italian school? I was like, yeah, we are here. They might as well learn the language because I'm too lazy to learn it. So they went to Italian school. What we didn't realize was that that private Italian school was the school for all the footballers and the footballers' kids. I see. Now, we don't play football. We don't watch football. We are not soccer fans. So that also eventually contributes to my rise in my private chefing career. And this is where I will explain. Um, so the kids all know me as Auntie Jean. So because we had one of the bigger villas in that little town at that time, we were hosting a lot of parties for kids. Hmm. I mean, not parties, but, you know, just garden parties where Auntie Jean would cook and then the kids would come and they'll eat at my house and they grew up, the footballer kids hmm. would grow up like loving my food. The footballers, because of that footballer network, they then told other footballers about me. So there was no advertising. It was word of mouth. Word of mouth. And somehow um, that's, that, that footballer circle that we had became, together with other ladies around the village, became my friends. But not bef- in the beginning when we lived in Italy because that, again, we didn't realize it was an affluent town because we just happened to move to Italy. Andrew found that village because of the surfing, not because we know any history about it. Mm-hmm. So it was all very accidental, but we didn't realize that that was where one of the key football teams was training right. just above our villa. And that's why all the kids went to the same nursery. Oh, that we right. in. So for us, we don't know any of the footballers. So the friendships that forged was purely because of the kids. They know me as Zia Jean, which is Auntie Jean. And then I knew them because of the parents. From footballers, you know, being a a chef to these families. And how did that move on to something larger? There. So from there, when Andrew moved to Geneva, Mm. there was no proper Chinese food. And that drove me crazy because I said, you know, in Geneva, you have to pay hundreds of euros just for a proper meal at a Michelin star restaurant. But Mm -hmm. people have the misconception that all the Chinese um, eateries were fast food, oily, and it was just the wrong perception. It drove me absolutely mental. Mm. So when we were doing up our house at that time, I was so sick of eating the takeaway sandwiches, cold sandwiches from Carrefour in France. Mm. So I told Andrew, I said, you know what? If I'm looking for food at eight o'clock at night, I'm sure everyone else is. He was like, are you crazy? Europe, there's no way anyone would be buying food off you. Nobody knows you. I said, I'll find my way. So me being me, I said, I'm going to start my own takeaway. Right. He was like, what? And by that time, Andrew already rose to be general manager. Okay. Right. Right. He was like, what do you mean takeaway? I said, takeaway. I mean, takeaway. He's like, how? From where? I said, from our house. He went, oh my God, no. He says it's illegal, number one. Number two, he's like, you're not a chef. I said, I don't have to be a chef. I just have to provide food, right? Like this, the Asian method. I said, I just have to ask dad to send me some chicken rice uh, wax paper. And then I'll just pack food for people. Right. And that was exactly what I did. It drove my husband absolutely mental. But then after so many years, <laughs> when I set my mind to something, I'll do it. So my dad also thought I was crazy because he said, oh my God. He said, how can you charge us what you cook at home at 10 euros? I said, dad, this is Geneva. 10 euros is nothing. Right. 10 euros is for a sandwich in Carrefour. So that was how I started. I emailed during that time. There was no WhatsApps. So I emailed seven friends in the UN. So it just happens that I had friends in the UN at that time, working in the UN, diplomats and people just, and I emailed seven of them and I said, hey, if you guys want Asian food, um, let me know. And I'll tell you what I'm cooking for dinner that night. 
I don't have a menu. You just have to text me on the day itself. I'll tell you what I bought from the market and right. what I cook for my dinner. If you want extra, I'll pack more. And I charge 10 euros for um, rice, a vegetable, egg, and a meat dish. And that was it. And that was how I started. Okay. Um, so the seven UN friends. And somehow within a year, it grew to a steady group of customers because no one else was doing that. It was completely illegal. Yes, I know. But, <laughs> it, you know, um, it was for friends only. Mm. And somehow it grew. Long story short, um, mm. it became so successful that people started saying, you have a very big house. Why don't you host uh, dinners? Mm. And I was like, no, my husband will kill me. Already he thinks that my idea is stupid. Can you imagine? Because we lived in one of the biggest houses, again, hidden behind hedges. So nobody actually knew that we lived in the biggest house in the village. Okay. And it was hidden by high hedges. So people okay. only assumed what was behind. And my neighbors had no idea what was going on. They just kept seeing strange cars, diplomatic cars. <laughs> driving into and um, somehow the, the context grew. and. Um, Within the first two years, I had a customer base of more than 500 people on the website. And um, that was when I told Andrew, I said, can I, can I just start a chef's table? I said, I, I promise, I promise, I'll let's start in the kitchen. I'll have, just have one table where I'll invite them in because there's a demand. Andrew was like, well, are you crazy? Uh, now you want to invite them into the house? Mm. I already allowed you to, you know, they are already driving to the driveway. I already think they're crazy. Now you're going to invite strangers into the house. We have two daughters up there. Mm. It's fine. It's people from the UN. They will protect us. It's okay. So <laughs> I, I, I will make, I'll make sure that it's, you know. Um, you have a, nice a way of convincing Andrew, didn't you? He's just given up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and somehow that group of four, a table, a small table of four grew to 12, eight, then 12. And at the end, I was hosting regular dinners of up to 30 people in our dining room. Wow. And I even had a wine sommelier working, working with me because I don't drink. So she matches her, um, uh, the wines for my private dinners. So it grew very organically, but I knew uh, how did the footballers come in. So this is where I will explain. And somehow I knew I had to make myself legal in the first two years when a group of six friends from London flew on their private jet to have dinner in Geneva at my house. All right. And then booked three months later and then flew back after dinner on their private jet. Then I went, maybe I've made it, you know, I think it's time to make, make it a legal business. And it was so random because Andrew kept nagging at me. He was like, you're going to get us kicked out of the country. What are you doing? This is illegal. You're crazy. And <laughs> so the Jean's private kitchen started because right. I wanted Andrew to stop nagging at me. And he was like, you have to make sure that there is insurance in case he says, you know, the people you are poisoning are not normal people, are diplomats and ambassadors. He says, this is getting crazier by the day. Right. <laughs> So, Jean, it sounds like it sounds like that your client base right from the beginning was of the elite. What would yeah. you say to what would you say to women who aspire to be like you, but who do not necessarily have that kind of network? So I don't think it's about so everyone has a different model. And my model, again, was very accidental. It was to stop my husband from nagging. So that's very different. Oh. Okay. Because I do a lot of things to prove people wrong. And that's just one example. Mm. But for people that don't have the same social circle or net worth, it is not about who uh, you invite or who you have working with you, but who you can sustain as a client base. So it can be just someone on the street, wow. but if that someone on the street can keep trusting you and right. keep coming back to you, you have your customer base. So for me, and this is why I don't tell people what I do, 
Because when people come to me, it's because they trust me. Trust they build a relationship with me. They believe that Jean is going to perform. They believe that Jean um, is uh, trustworthy. Mm, mm, mm. They believe that when I say something, I'll get it done. Right. That's important. So that's why a lot of my businesses is Jean Winter. It's my branding. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such a powerful thing that you said, you know, it's your brand, your credibility, you know, the trust that people have in you. And I think this is what that brought you today. You are a food consultant, the Singapore Embassy and Consulate at UAE, isn't it, Jean? And and I saw you at uh, being a an integral part of the Singapore Pavilion at the Dubai Expo. Can you share a little bit about what you do as a food consultant to the Singapore Embassy and Consulate? So I am pretty much a food consultant, not just to Singapore Embassy and Consulate. Uh, they are just one of my clients. So I'm a food consultant food and business consultant to governments worldwide. So they, so for example, um, and this is the problem with labels. I don't fit into a label because I create my own paths. So I'm pretty much a go-to for ambassadors or embassies that want anything and everything. So for example, okay, for labels sake, I own an events company. So in the events company, Mm. I host Australia's Independence Day. Hmm. They want tables, I give them tables. So that events company fits the label of doing events for all my diplomatic clients. Hmm. Hmm. My other company, Jean Winter, uh, uh, Jean's Private Kitchen, fits the label of a food consultant and a celebrity chef. Okay. So this, this is the problem of society. I have had to create companies and that's why I've had, I ended up with so many companies oh, wow. because it I create companies to fit into labels that society has. If you ask me what I do, I don't know because I do many things. Amazing. So that's why in the end, I tell people I'm just Jean. It doesn't matter what I do. Okay, this tell me what you a, This is such a... This is such a really interesting uh, and important conversation, Jean, because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in business and in marketing, the masculine the masculine um, discourse of marketing is that, you know, you, you, you have to be an expert on certain things. You have to market yourself as this and you have to be, you have to create a niche. And, and like you say, you know, like there are so many dimensions to a person. How do you, like which dimension do you want to take uh, to create this niche? Uh, you are so many things. You are so many things. And so this is, know, I think, an important lesson for, for, for many people. It is. And because I want the women out there to listen very, very carefully. When I started my business, there was no such thing as an image consultant. None. So mm-hmm. under the drop down box, I couldn't find myself. So you know what? That was how I started off. I just put housewife. Because I was sick of, so I just put housewife, it's fine. Because mm-hmm. I, I know what I am, and then that's fine. Because that, it goes back to our previous conversation again. The right people will find you. And today, even though I, I own a range of companies, mm-hmm. I have spent zero on marketing, zero. Really? I don't spend anything on marketing. So that's why you can't find a website on me. None of my companies have websites. Mm. But then I still have the royals calling me. I still have diplomats calling me. I have the embassies calling me. Why? Because it's by word of mouth. Maybe I'm old school, mm. but I have created a, a business model whereby it is driven purely by reputation right. and trust. So people, the right people will know the right people to find me. Other than that, you don't even know I exist. I'm just a housewife, you know? Um, I'm just the one that keeps going to the gym or so a lot of, and this is again, why I think it's important to be very confident in what you do and not be wavered because in the very beginning, especially for Asian women in a male dominated industry. So when I first entered Dubai, everyone's like, who's this woman? Mm. You know, she's small, Mm. she's Asian in an Arab chauvinistic male-dominated world, and especially in the FM industry, 99% are women, uh, men, and then there was me. 
And I think people were just very confused about what I do until today. Not many people know what I do, right. which is fine. So I let them guess, keep guessing. Right. But they just see me attending events. They see me not working. They say, is she a chef? But how come she never works? They keep asking, mm-hmm. which restaurant do you operate? I say, I don't own a restaurant. Right. And then they ask, how are you a celebrity chef? I said, I really don't know. I just do TV shows. I've been approached to do documentaries. So I have always remained an enigma. And I remembered the moment my, my name started appearing in the FMB industry locally. A lot of people are like, what does she do? Where is she? Mm. And I don't attend a lot of big events that I'm invited to. Yeah. Also, um, because a lot of, as long as something is happening, which doesn't capture the essence of what I do, hmm. even though it's a very glamour, glamorous event. And this is this goes back to Catherine's question of how I remain evasive. Yeah. Because especially in Dubai, the more events, the more glamorous events you attend, the more social following you, you gather, the more influential you are, that's the perceived, that's the perception, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I get invited to many, many events, but I will attend maybe one or two for friends or if there is a, 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 a reason to attend. Yeah. Um, the social media following is huge in Dubai. Right. But if you actually look at my social media, you you can't really see what I do from my Instagram post yeah. because it's my family, me going to the gym, my dogs, my cats, yeah. family, friends. You know, it's a very interesting persona that you have, Jim, because, you know, you, you've got so many companies and yet you want, you remain invisible to some extent, but you are doing such impactful work. You know, you are an angel investor, a strong advocate of investing in women-owned startups. And during the smack of the pandemic, you extended an open invitation to, to female entrepreneurial group in Dubai, asking prospects to write in, in, in asking for, you know, funds and so on. And, and this is a brilliant initiative. Can you share a little bit more about this initiative? Because it is so important for people to hear about what you have done in the smack of the, the COVID-19. You know, I think my husband gets famous for the wrong reasons. And he's always, he's like, oh my God, here we go again. Mm. So it's again because of him. On Father's Day, British Father's Day, he sat me down and he said, darling, I've never asked you what you do with your money for a long time. And he said, but it's COVID. Can you stop giving our money away? That was the opening line. He says, can you actually put your money in stocks and shares? This was Father's Day, uh, British Father's Day 2020, COVID. He said, I don't know what you've been doing with your money, but I know you've been giving it to people. He said, stop it. He said, this is COVID. People are losing their jobs. Companies are folding. People are moving out of Dubai. Why are you not putting that money um, in stocks and shares and growing it or putting it aside for our kids? I said, oh my God, stop nagging me. I said, you can put your money in stocks and shares. I said, okay, fine, I'll invest. But I said, I'll invest in people. Okay, well, oh my God, here we go again. He's like, where are you going to find people? Mm. I say, just, you just leave me to it. And that was how I did that post. Um, I'll send you a screenshot of the original post that I did. Sure. Uh, if you remind me. Yeah, so I did that original post and um, I was expecting maybe 10 or 15 women to write back to me. So I was very random. I went to Facebook Hmm. There was this female entrepreneurial group and I said, okay, you know, write me a story. If it resonates with me, I will meet you and then I'll invest in one company. That was what I said. And I said, I promise to reply to every one of you because I was only expecting 10 to 15 women to open up. Hmm. Hmm. 96 women wrote to me and I was a bit like overwhelmed. But I promised to read every single email. I did. And I replied back to every single one. So 
again, over the next few weeks, Andrew will be like, why are you sleeping at 3, 4 a.m. in the morning? Are you crazy? Because I could only find time to reply to these women after my work day, sure. right? Yeah. So yeah. I would literally, I literally read through everyone. I replied to everyone. But I picked out 20 to meet the mm-hmm. ones that I thought I could potentially add to because it's not just about investing. It's still my money. Yeah. But it's about helping them to grow. Because I can be an angel investor, but if I'm no value add, then it doesn't make sense. Mm. Okay, so maybe at this point you want to share what really an angel investor is all about. I think it's going to be very interesting to hear that. So for me, um, again, I, I operate very differently. So for me, as an angel investor, I can only speak for myself. Sure. I, I'm not for anyone else for me it's about investing in a company that i believe has a potential to grow with my help okay so i would invest instead of putting my money in a bank stocks and shares i would rather invest my money in helping a person or business grow but for me businesses that attract me again i'm not like other investors because some angel investors is okay i put in this money by this time i want my money back with um three folds or four folds so they set very clear expectations sure. whereas for me again it's very different there are different reasons why someone wants to invest and in my case <laughs> the first reason was to stop my husband nagging about my money so again it was to do something with it that is not stocks and shares, I will invest in people. But because of COVID, I believe that during that time, it it is about supporting women because a lot of banks, especially in the Middle East, they are the ones having troubles. Okay. Having, uh, you know, have, having the VCs or um, banks giving them the loans that they need. And a lot of uh, businesses really collapsed uh, during um, uh, COVID. And I thought maybe this is when, you know, on two levels, I can help, I can mentor, and it will make my husband happy because I'm investing and it's not like I'm losing money. Yes, it's a gamble. But, you know, I I see that there was a bigger uh, motivation for me. Sure, but But what qualities were you looking for, for you to fund these uh, startups what what really attracted you or yeah again for me I'm very driven by um, stories unfortunately so I do not make a typical good investor in that sense because a lot of times sometimes I'm driven by need someone else's need or empathy rather than whether it was a very good choice Right. And, and you were you were actually operating based on your heart, you know, but I'm going to ask you something uh, a little bit more objective here. You know, we have seen a lot of news and research saying that the amount of funding that has gone to women led startups have declined. And in fact, uh, startups that have drawn a larger share of the VC dollars were teams made up of all male founders. So in your opinion, you know, you're a business person as well, and you have helped startups. Why is it that women are getting a smaller piece of the VC pie? I think there are a few. This is for me. I have also declined a lot of requests for startups, not based on gender differences, but how they come across when they are presenting their ideas. Hmm. Whether or not it's male or female driven doesn't matter to me, for the example. But I know that in the industry, this is where perceptions have to shift. Okay. Because okay. they believe a lot of males or friends, hmm. friends hmm. would say, you know, because women are volatile, they have one idea today, they might change their idea and the next day, they will not see it through. There are a lot of misconceptions of women, not because of who we are, but because of the different setups, I think the mental setups, because what males look for in terms of wanting to invest is very, very different from what would trigger possibly an angel investor. 
I am very black and white. I have turned down many businesses, be it male or female. There was another example where a female approached me, but when I went to meet them, it was three men and one woman. Oh, mm. no, in that group. Mm. Mm. So you know, the men came across very strong and they said, this is our idea, da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, I shot holes in all of the arguments and I said, you're not ready for me to invest. So I think they were a bit taken aback because they were not expecting that from me. So from me, for me, whether or not it's men or women, it doesn't matter. But why women, I think, are finding difficulty in attracting male investors is because the way they present themselves, number one, I think the male. What males, do you mean by this specifically? What do you mean by the way they present themselves? A lot of the women, um, when approaching investors, are already intimidated even before they present themselves. Okay. So they go in very nervous, mm-hmm. you know, and they, the moment, you know, I mean, it's like a lion's den, right? The moment they sense fear, Already they go, oh, okay, interesting. Confidence, going in with confidence is a very, very big factor for women. Because a lot of times, I think the women feel intimidated in a room, assuming there's a room of VCs male, eight males, and you go in trying to present your small business, they already feel intimidated going in. Sure. And if you feel, and if you speak, with fear, why would you assume that they would want to invest as opposed to someone going in with full confidence, able to answer their questions with their head held high, then it puts you on equal playing field. Absolutely. So again, I have never seen myself as a woman in that sense. Oh, I'm a woman. I'm going into for an interview. For me, I see myself as Jean, simple as that. I go in. I fight my case, I argue my case. And why am I given some big contracts, government contracts, as opposed to female, uh, a fellow male who was also considered for that role? Because again, if you go in seeing yourself as an equal before you even start. Absolutely. That, that is half the battle won. Absolutely. The problem with a lot of women out there is that they go in already even with their own gender perceptions in their own head that oh okay will I get the job no you go in saying I will get the job there's a huge Mm -hmm. difference you know the same sentence a question versus a statement already changes the vibe going into a um, conversation Hmm. so when I saw your question or when I heard that question I had to think back about myself and the people that I have um, interviewed. And it's very interesting. It's also, you know, I've had women come to me and say, this is my business model. And I say, it doesn't make sense. Because a lot of women businesses are also triggered by emotions. They they are very heavy. They're very heavy. So they start out. Like me, pretty much like me, but I just happen to be a bit lucky. So it's very, it's very um, opportunity driven as okay. opposed to purpose driven. Okay. And that, that, that is, you know, where it's, there are also problems where, oh, I think that there is this missing in the market. I want to start a business in this. Um, I'm In my head, it's a great idea, you know, hmm. Hmm. but did you actually go through the steps of making a proper business model in their head? They think it is. But, you know, when it comes to the men, they are more uh, steps driven. Right. right. Mm. Whereas women are very opportunity driven. Oh, okay. And emotionally driven. I can do this. I'm sure I can do this in my head. This is a great idea. But then when when they present it, hmm, it's a great idea. But how are you going to get there? They they miss out a few steps. Mm. So even with me interviewing women, why, why do you think I ended up turning down out of that 96? Why did I only invest in four? Mm, mm, you know, mm. because all the others didn't make sense. Mm, mm. And I remember very specifically one of them, one of the 20 that I ended up meeting, 
after she presented to me, in my head, I was like, wow, it's a miracle that she even land, got to where she was today. No. Because I asked her, I said, how much profit have you made in the last two years? She said, I don't know. She said, I've just been successful because it was a business that people needed that business. So whatever profits I had, it went to pay my rent, right. my car, stuff. So they don't know what goes on behind. It's just a survival mode. Mm, but mm-hmm. that will not attract the investor. So, mm, you know, for, for other women, or, or I mean women or uh, ladies out there who want to start a business, remember that if you are looking for an angel investor, the angel investor is also putting in their hard-earned money. They sure, don't want to put their money in a, uh, in a business that can potentially lose their money. Absolutely. So again, I might be very different. I may not ask for, again, for me, it was a matter of giving back, a way of mentoring, but giving my money that I may not be like other investors who gives you timeline to pay me back or to give me a certain profit by a set time, but I do not expect you to lose my money. Of course, surely. In order for that to happen, you still need a very good uh, strategy and system in place to prove to us why we should put my money in your business as opposed to other businesses run by men or other women that has better strategy. Makes makes total sense. Total, total sense, you know. And and G, there's something else I'm also very curious, you know, when I read about you. I mean, this is for women. You're doing so much, you know, for women, but you're also doing another area, you know, where where we see organizations fighting for the normalization of disability. And your touch consultancy has been a very um, inclusive platform, right, where you promote stories of people of determination and you also provide mentorship. I would like you to share a little bit about this. I'm really curious to know about this. So Touch, um, it's quite interesting because uh, Touch started because Australia, uh, it was also during the same time of COVID and um, the Australian Paralympian swimmer, Jessica Smith, mm-hmm. had reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And I've met her at events before. She's a fantastic speaker, heard her story, inspirational one. And I thought, okay, why would Jess want to meet me? Okay. So she had said, you know, when she grew up in Australia, she was treated, she was born with, without um, her arm. And um, she was, she grew up in Australia being treated as just another person, you know, there's no difference between her and her brother hmm. and her brothers. She climbed trees, she swam, she went on to represent Australia. But she felt that when she came to Middle East uh, about two years ago, uh, she felt like people uh, viewed her with pity the moment they saw her single arm, which was very interesting for her because she has never been made to feel like she was anything less. So she wanted to educate by, um, she wanted to educate people about disability and how they're just like the rest of us and I thought I love that Mm. so let's do it she was actually looking for corporate sponsorship but then because I deal with corporate sponsorships for governments as well it doesn't make sense to me because the corporates will sponsor but then they'll also want a lot of things back so I thought about it and I said okay uh, I'll help you publish the books that you want to publish. But if you want to educate, then let's do it properly because you're not going to educate selling it to bookshops or having pop-ups. And that was another business that I said, okay, I will. this will be my CSR. So mm-hmm. let's see how we can help you reach out to more people but help others at the same time. And what, what's interesting is that at the back of my mind, I've always wanted to set up a business called Touch with the tagline, Touching Lives, Inspiring People. Hmm. But I didn't know what that business was going to be. I just like the name <laughs> of <laughs> And when she came with me with this idea, I thought, okay, so there you go. Maybe we can call this Touch. And again, 
as like all my other businesses, is very accidental. And I say, hey, do you want to run a company? And she went, what? She said, I'm a swimmer. I'm not a business person by any way. So I said, I said, I'm too busy to run another business. You can be the face of the business. And I said, you know, I can't call myself an inclusive business if I run the business. So I said, why don't you run the business? I'll mentor you. And I said, because you just said that, you have just come up with our pillar two of the business, mentorship programs. And I said, I'll start by mentoring you how to run a business. So I'll hide behind, just like all my businesses, I'm always hiding behind. So a lot of people don't know I'm I'm, I'm Jean Winter, when you, you know, um, because I don't look like a Jean Winter, which is great. And uh, so Touch came about again by accident because of this program. We wanted to produce the books and we wanted to use these books to reach out to kids, to teach right. them about, you know, disability from a story point of view. But based on Jess's social network and my social network, I said, why don't we use this as a platform to help more people? Okay. So in Middle East, um, people with disability are called people of determination. Okay. And what happens in the Middle East is that I think they still have a long way to go in not in un, in changing their perceptions of thinking that it is a not problem but something that they hide away or not talk openly about or not something to be proud of so we are here to change the social stigma but how because here you have a lot of charities helping the people of determination. But for me, I refuse to call myself a charity because they are not to be pitied. So I, I'm a business. I tell them touch is a business, but the only difference is that instead of giving a charitable donation, you're actually hiring my people for their stories. Okay. So, and this is again, as someone, because I get approached a lot for sponsorships and donations and I always ask, where does my money go to? And this is a big question for the big corporates as well. Okay. If they don't know where the money goes to, they are more hesitant to give. And then a lot of times, like when you give, okay, where, where does it go to really? Does it go to running the business? Does it go to the rent? Does it go to your driver? How much of it actually reaches the people that need help? All right. And this is why I also do a lot of giving privately, meaning... If I know a family needs help, why would I go through a charity to help them? Yeah. I would rather send help directly to that family. Yeah. They don't have to know it's me. So a lot of times it's anonymous anyway. And if, for example, someone needs a wheelchair, why would I go through a charity to help give this child a wheelchair? Because if you donate 5,000, chances are what reaches this child is only 1,000. Absolutely. Absolutely. So touch is very different because we, from the outset, we have our talents. And this is where my background will explain to you how I have all my celebrity connections and my different, you know, wow. uh, connections. Your plant is so well charted, it, accidentally, but it's, it's very so, so beautifully, everything is falling into place. You know, people that you know from all the high places are now coming together to support your yeah. mission of bringing, you know, stories of people of determination yeah. or people who really need help, right? And through you, you're a facilitator, perhaps a conduit, you know, between <laughs> those who need and, and those who have, right? I think that you just, it's, it's amazing what you're doing, Jean. Not you amazing. Know, you, you keep saying, yeah, you keep saying accidental, Jean. But you, from listening to your stories, I, I think it's much more than accidental. I think the lesson here for me, and this is a lesson that I got, and maybe for a lot of women who are listening in, yeah. uh, is that you have very strong values. You know, yeah. you know where you've come from, but you also know where you're going, not necessarily with business, but you know what it is in your life that you value and your businesses fall within those values. 
And I think this is an important lesson because a lot of times we go into business with yeah. a financial goal in the end and we yes. lose our values along the way. Uh, but in your case, you you seem to find businesses and people that are aligned with those values and you just fly. And this is what we talked about in our networking sessions, how men and women network very differently. Men go for the business cards. You know, how many business cards can you collect in this at this event? Hmm. Whereas this, women are not necessarily like that. But then women also become confused, you know, like which model should I follow? And if I go through this model, will it be slower? And you are just proof that, you know, you don't have to follow the masculine model, but you do have to be true to your own values. What is yeah. it that you believe in? Where is your passion? Who do you want to help? And and business at the at the back of your mind that falls into those models. I think that's... Yeah. But also, Catherine, I, I, I don't know whether you follow, but I see Jean and I'm listening to you and I said, my God, she's got so much of grit. You know, and that word keeps coming back to me, right? Regardless of what your husband says or whatever the odds were. But I think you were so, you had that clarity, but the grit behind the fact that you want to do this and you want to make sure that there are no ifs about it, you know? And I, I, I think that's such a beautiful quality that I wish most of us can have that. I think what, a lot what about of you, what about you, Jean? Like, what is, like, that's my takeaway from this and that's Nisha's takeaway. What is your takeaway? What is the takeaway that you want listeners to get from, from listening to your stories? You know, I think in life, you allow, or many people allow fear to paralyze you um, to take the next step. Insecurity, fear. And I always, always tell friends or people that see me as a mentor that you do not allow fear to take away potential greatness because, I mean, I grew up as a normal child. I mean, I was always in trouble for talking too much. And I was, I remember one teacher that says, oh, Jim will always be the B student. And my mom always remembered that. And my mom always says, you know, I remember that teacher, I will not mention the name, um, who says, Jim will always be a B student. And my mom is always still annoyed. And that's interesting because if a woman at that time, a female teacher can tell me I'm just meant to be a B student, if I allowed that to encapsulate my future, I will always think I am not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing. I think the biggest problem with women nowadays in the world, okay, majority of us don't have the self-confidence to believe that you are, you are able. And they allow their present fears to affect their future possibilities. Why do I say that? Because when you think uh, this goes back to someone I'm mentoring now, they're saying, oh, I'm afraid to take the next step because I have bills to pay. What if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? You know, they are torn by so many possibilities of not things not happening according to their plans. Instead of saying, you know what? Let me take the first step first. And then if there is um, a, a, a problem ahead, let me take the next step, then clear it. Mm. And then if another problem comes up, then take the next step and start clearing it. Absolutely. Yeah. But they don't, they don't see it like that. They, they, I, I mean, fair enough. I mean, there are also situations whereby, okay, in a third world country, the women are not given given the resources because someone said to me before, you are able to help because you have the resources to. Absolutely. <laughs> I totally believe but, in that. But they forget that when I started, I had zero. Oh. Mm-hmm. I built up my own resource. I didn't come from a filthy rich family. No, I didn't. Yeah. So that's not true either. You build up what resources you want and you do not take any victim. You do not victimize yourself. So I, I, I mean, maybe I'm a bit harsh sometimes, but I cannot stand 
people, anyone, male or female, that victimize themselves and say, oh, I can't because this was my past, da, da, da. Because my father came from nothing. Absolutely. I came from nothing. You are talking to the wrong person. You are talking to the wrong person. Because we yeah. came from that. It's not, we yeah, own, it's yeah. I think I think that's something uh, that unifies all three of us here. I know Catherine. Catherine knows a little bit about my background too, and you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, but one thing, one thing, Jean. I mean, um, I think you have a lot of um, guiding principles, guiding values, mm-hmm. and you're a highly intelligent mm-hmm. woman as well. You know, but I'm sure at some point in your life there have been women mentors or women that you watch, and who are they? Who are these women? Who inspired you? Yeah. Why? Because again, she she's just mom, but she she's very steadfast in her values. Very, very steadfast in her values. And when I grew up, I used to think, oh my God, mom's a pain because she just refused to budge in her principles, you know. And I ended up being a mini her, which is not that bad. My mom said, and again, mom came from nothing. And why is she sitting on the big boards alongside the big CEOs as a member of the board of directors of various organizations? Again, because people value her for her values, not because which family she was born into or how many companies she has behind her. My mom has zero companies behind her. But people want her on board in female organizations because they value her for her values. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. So she was on the board of um, a halfway house for uh, women um, addicts in Singapore for more than 20 years. Hmm. And why was she even there? Because she's sitting alongside people with a huge list of accolades. Who is mom? Mom's nobody. It's because she, again, found people knew of her because of what she stands for, who she is and what she believed in. She gave without expecting anything in return because, and this is what she taught me as well. When you give and you expect something in return, that's business. When you give out of kindness, that's kindness. When you don't expect anything in return. Okay. Wise words. Very, very wise words. And for my, you know, and because of who my parents are, it pretty much sets my brother and myself on a very different path ever since we were young. So till now, my parents are very set in their values. Mm. And something the women out there need to understand that if you are driven by the wrong values, I mean, maybe I'm traditional, but success and the right people will never come your way. Because if Mm. you are driven by money and you are driven by premature success, then you will also be more likely to fall prey prey, um, to the wrong sort of mentors. Jane, you have so many stories. You have helped so many women. You have invested in women-led businesses. You've done a lot for women and you've been an inspiration for so many women. Um, you know, you, you've led your businesses, so many of them, with without profit and return of investment in mind, but with kindness and humanities yeah. and being steadfast in your values. And I think that is one of the biggest a few lessons, big lessons in there for for women who want to leave businesses but are not yet quite confident or sometimes doubting the way that they are doing things, you know, whether they should be conforming to the masculine models of of business. And I think having you on board today is so valuable. So thank you for, thank you for being here. And I hope we see more of you. I hope, you know, the women can reach out to you and connect with you. And I, and I, hope that this being you being here will garner you a lot more connections and crazy collaborations uh, which will not end up in yeah I I believe that too you know it's amazing because 
you know, when when I met Eugene, it's like it's just about just a couple of minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes. But I told myself, this is one woman I would like to watch, you know. And then when I scrolled and I Googled and I thought, no, nothing very much there. But whatever I learned was so impactful. Right. And I, I was even more convinced, OK, Jean has got to be on our show. You know, and, and I, <laughs> and really, it's true. And, and, and say thank you so much, you know, for for I know you're so busy, but given the short frame of time you agreed and that is so that shows your magnanimity and and your your want to help uh causes like ours you know so from the bottom of my heart and and from women we and, my heart. <laughs> and all the tribe of listeners you know uh, the tribe of listeners who's listening in thank you so much jean uh for putting no your time here with us and you chose thank to be you. here yeah oh, thank you for having me and thank you for what you both do for the rest of the women out there Thank you, dear listeners, for joining today's episode and listening into one of the most amazing women in our industry, Jean Winter. This is one of the rare occasions that we hear Jean speak so openly about herself, her accomplishments, what she does best, and most passionately about her unrelenting support for women. We are now rounding up our season two and looking forward to another really exciting season with some incredible women change makers. Thank you, Bowen being with us for season one and season two. Please support the podcast and share it with your networks, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review for us. Don't forget to follow all our episodes on major podcast platforms. Till we meet again, take care and continue to be inspired. Goodbye.